Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today I'm thrilled, I'm very happy to have such a, a guest, a world leader, I don't even know where to start, a world leader, an author. And then also, as you know, in our podcast, we try to give voice to the Business for Good movement. There is also the CEO and founder of a certified B Corp, Marmalade Fish, the only B Corp in the Middle East. So, wow, let us introduce Sami Al-Ashrafi. Sami, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Samuele. It's amazing to be here. And actually, I'm delighted to say there are now three B Corps in the Middle East as of this week. Wow, fantastic. So the movement is growing. <laughs> Took a while, but we're getting there. And you know, Sami, I'm really excited because your, your profile, you're an author, a world reader, a, a protagonist in the B Corp movement. But as usual, who is Sami? What is your sustainability journey? My sustainability journey, Samuele, goes back a few years when I was sitting at various roundtable discussions listening to experts from corporations who were proudly asserting that changes had been made in their products and packaging to make them more sustainable. And so I asked, have those changes been rolled out across all markets? And the response came back, no, just in some, uh, where it's mandated. So in another discussion, I asked an expert about sustainability in the supply chain and how do their values inform their decision-making and who they choose to partner with. And the response was this kind of blank expression. And so after a few more of those interactions, I came to realize there was a difference between what was being portrayed outwardly, often garnering hundreds of likes on LinkedIn, and what was actually happening in reality. And there was lots of green and whitewashing happening. And I guess there still is, right? And so as I became more discerning, I saw an opportunity to go broader and deeper. And it's my personal perspective that if you want to become more sustainable, then the starting point is values, culture, and this idea that I write about of conscious leadership. So thank you for your introduction. I founded the consultancy firm Marmalade Fish in 2015. In 2016, we became the first certified B Corporation in the region. And because we were attracted to this idea that it was globally benchmarked, and importantly, it was independently verified. And we quickly realized during the impact assessment that we thought we were doing great work, but actually we were really at base camp on that never-ending journey of continuous improvement. They say you're only a leader when you have your first follower. So last summer, we got our second B Corp in the region, which was six years after initial certification. So it takes time. And as I said, the third B Corp, I believe, was announced this week in the region. So we're getting there. And really, it's a journey. And it's really also in line with the results and the work they have done. So it's, it's, it's a benchmark and it's also this community and the gathering. So when somebody like you open the floodgate, then people will start and seeing the importance and the work. And as you said, you are also a world leader, an author. So I want also to talk a bit about Marmalade Fish. The first one for the people that are listening, they might say, Marmalade Fish, why this name? Eh, what's about? 
And the other one, I mean, how do you approach organization? What, what do you do? What is the, the mission and the vision of our marmalade fish? Well, I'm half Arabic and half English. So you can imagine my father's dismay all those years ago when I said I was going to call a consultancy for marmalade fish. But uh, over time, it's become part of the vernacular. People have accepted it. My intention with the work we do is never really to criticize any initiative. But I think in the same way as we grew to understand that culture is not about foosball tables or free after-work drinks on a Friday or nap pods. I think that we need to understand that sustainability goes beyond banning plastic bags and getting people together as teams once a year centered on beach or park cleanups. In my mind, it's really about how ESG is embedded into the culture, behaviors, actions, habits, practices, of everyone at every layer of the organization and really articulating why that's important and how it will be done in those various layers of the company. And when it comes to values, not everything in life can be a priority. Not everything in business can be your priority. So having meaningful values tells your people and the market who you are and what to expect when interacting with you. And when done properly, I think creating organizational values is a fascinating, it's a really engaging process, figuring out actual values are and what perhaps might be aspirational. And when it comes to data, there's so much data out there that interprets what we call the climate of an organization. But we refer to that at Marmalade Fish as lag indicators. So like how people are feeling and showing up at work is a bit like the weather, but culture is deeper. It's like the meteorology that produces the weather. And we say it provides lead indicators to help leaders drive a business, importantly, in the direction that they would like to head in. So it's all about working out what your priorities are and how you're going to get there. And as part of a process, you're tapping into the collective intelligence of the organization, understanding what are the blind spots, therefore, what are some of the potential antidotes. But don't just deal with the symptoms but the root cause of any resistance or unhelpful processes and behaviors that are going to get in the way of realizing the culture change. Thank you, Sami. And I really want to add on on that, especially the, the role of culture from the organizational behavior, the work, culture and the MBA. Everybody is discussing about culture. Culture is so important for transformation, for change. So you are now a world leader. You have worked with big organizations, with governments, which are the culture, the region that you think they are interesting and challenging to work? Can you tell us a bit, you know, about that? Well, great question. Well, I love being a global citizen, Samuele. So whilst I'm global in that nature, I'm always about celebrating what's local. And I think I'm fortunate because I have this unique perspective of being half English and half Syrian, but born and raised in the UAE in my career has taken me all around the world. So I've been able to straddle different cultures. And through that, I've realized that leadership kind of needs to be broadened out to be relevant for the whole of humanity. And as you know, I have a chapter in Time for Humanity, my book, that explores this idea of conscious leadership in a global world. And that's particularly relevant because I'm speaking to you today from Dubai, where there are over 200 nationalities all trying to figure out how to live and work together. But to respond directly to your question, I absolutely love working with frontier and emerging markets. Uh, they tend to embrace these new ways of doing things and they want to evolve. 
there's less resistance, I find. But now that travel has opened up again, I tend, when I'm doing consultancy work or facilitating for leadership teams, I try to arrive a couple of days early to really immerse myself in the local culture and in doing so expand my worldview. And I think that is the, the way. And also, I mean, I'm not at your level, but also the podcast, you can see, is making strides more, surprisingly, in the emerging markets and in people where people are at the forefront. And I think they're the front for sustainability. And also, you know, they're the most affected also from the effects of the climate change. And you have mentioned time for humanity and you're really in the work that you are doing, the conscious libis and the, and the work. So for the people that are listening to us, can you tell about your book? That what is time for humanity? Why even the name? I mean, why is so important that? And what is the inspiration? Why at this particular time you wrote it? Well, it's a guide to conscious leadership and it's rather unusual or if we try to reframe that, let's say it's unique. <laughs> it starts off in the world of business and ends up looking at brainwaves and how to strive towards inner peace. <laughs> but the book is offered like a mosaic of ideas and like any guidebook, it invites readers to research and explore the bits that resonate with the reader. In a sense, it's also like a memoir. So I've tried to intersperse it with practical examples, personal stories, some academia, behavioral science, and even philosophy. Samueli, I found that there are so many books out there, so many great TED Talks, so many research papers, articles. And yet, when I walk down my corridor where I live, I sometimes notice that my neighbors resist making eye contact with me, or we don't always hold the door open for somebody. I see aggression on the roads. I notice that some people they don't even take the extra couple of steps as they open the garbage room to put the rubbish down the chute. Instead, they just throw it onto the floor. And it's my sense, how on earth can we expect to address the big and important issues of our time if we don't start to live and examine our values in our homes and in our communities? And I know we love models and bullet points and 10 steps too, but I don't think that's necessarily what's needed right now. We're in this transitional period for humanity. We're going to be articulating, I believe, in the next five, six, seven years, what the next few generations will look like. And there is perhaps an overemphasis on the external. So I try to resist in the book the temptation to provide any models or frameworks to being more human. Instead, I wanted to offer readers an opportunity to reflect across the pages and just consider what might they shift in themselves and in their leadership of others as we bring about the kind of change that we want. To add on that, you rightly said we are in an age of transition. So in some books I read, we are in the between times. And especially as we, we discuss, the role of technology can shape the world and maybe even shape how consciousness and leadership is done. Because as we know, prediction machines and algorithms are there to decouple more and more from judgment and help humans to judge. So how do you see this development? Which is, is it positive? Is it negative? Which are your concerns? Can it help also humanity to found themselves? Or how, how do you see? Absolutely can. Technology is, or at least it should be, a facilitator, an enabler for humanity and not the other way around. And so I believe when leveraged properly, it can be a great competitive advantage. At Marmalade Fish, we actually partnered with a company to offer non-biased AI solutions 
that bring the culture and engagement to life with different reporting tools that are multi-layered, often in real time. And in that sense, technology can be a huge catalyst for change. My concern is that with such rapid advances in tech, at this meta level, the grass is kind of growing underneath our feet before regulation can and is keeping up to protect us. And you know, Samuele, most people now accept that algorithms pretty much control every aspect of our lived experience. But on the occasions that I've spoken to a human being to question an automated process or a decision made by a machine, I've been told by human beings that they have no insight or control into it. And I really feel that we need to regain some of that control and understanding if, again, we're going to create that kind of future that we actually want. That is, I think, a concern that many people share about the, the new technology and the works. Engineers now and the string of control and power is the one that creates the algorithm, which also with the feedback loop, feedback loop comes back and back and learn from himself. So I want to ask, you are a leader and you, you have also a perspective from Dubai and from the world to see the melting pot and, and the diversity of the world. So how do you see, which are the trends and development that you can see in these five or six years in this age of transition, which are really, you are really looking? Well, I think there is a growing consciousness that the current approach is producing certain results and more people are questioning whether we want different results. And therefore there is this more energized, I don't love the word movement, so let me say instead community of people calling for something different. Uh, I'm seeing people overtly expressing their values. They shop locally, for example, if they want to support their local community. Today is the beginning of Ramadan. We're recording this on the 23rd of March, 2023. And I'm noticing more families for the first time are talking about minimizing food waste. So we're bringing these sustainability ideas into the consciousness of people's hearts and homes. Uh, employees are increasingly making it clear that they expect their companies to do no harm in the world. They're speaking up about toxic work cultures that don't work for them. And as I write in the book, that's really important given how much time we spend of our thousand months on earth at work. Um, so I think people are beginning to take back their power. They're making more conscious micro choices throughout the day. For example, with tech, I know that there are people in my community who are becoming more conscious of the data, how they share it, what they get in exchange, whether they unwittingly press accept to everything in order to access certain sites. They're reevaluating their use of social media so that it enhances their lives rather than distracting them from living a full and meaningful one. And it's really the movement and the way also people, they are really taking back some power, some humanity, and also transforming a bit also is, is coming also trans transformation of businesses rather than the business as usual, the profits and the shareholder uh, primacy. Mm. You know, the, the B Corp movement, it's really fostered a new way of doing business. So it, it can be one of the way we can take back our humanity and looking at the, all the different stakeholders. So my question on that is, why a bit you, you, you decided as a pioneer in 2016 to become a B Corp certified and which was the impact of the certification on the company, the clients, how you have influenced also the way you work. And I love the way that you describe Samuele 
it is one way for humanity rather than the way. Um, to be honest with you, we're still trying to raise awareness of B Corps in this part of the world. I'm personally looking forward to more Arab entrepreneurs who care about people and planet as much as making profit, seeking certification for their businesses. At the moment, it's usually business students around the world who hear about us, are inspired and reach out. I'm not even sure that B Corps are taught in business schools here. And when I think of Expo 2020, there was a lot more interest from foreign visitors coming to the UAE. And I'm seeing the same with COP28, foreign visitors who will be traveling over here, reaching out rather than it being homegrown. So I think we still have a long way to go on the journey. And I suspect it's an awareness issue and maybe as well a bit of a caring issue. Uh, but the greatest advantage it's had for Marmalade Fish has been growing our pool of associates. It really has helped us attract the most talented and passionate people who want to deliver for the clients and hopefully make the world a better place. This is the, the talent attraction, the work and the sense of, say, community that is coming up from the movement. As you know, since you are a leader there, do you have, and maybe people are listening to us, especially from the emerging market, and they say, hmm, B Corp. Which advice you can give uh, being also based in the frontier emerging market for people, for businesses, organizations that they want to become certified or adopting uh, sustainable practices? Well, my advice would be don't approach it like a project. Try and engage people and in doing so shift your mindset from this cycle of short-termism that we currently find ourselves in towards that medium to long-term thinking. And I know it's not easy. So it's something to work towards rather than achieving. I think we're so used to deploying initiatives and projects and often they're top down, creating a buzz, a hive of activity for we use terms like big bang or it's the next flavor of a month before we turn our attention to the next thing, which is understandable given the uncertainty that we're experiencing in the world right now. But that's not how B Corp or those equivalents work. It's about a commitment to nurturing a healthy culture, growing will and skill where everybody feels that they can contribute. And that takes time, it takes conscious effort. And it's really a journey. And we can say you are not alone in this journey and to give our, my very humble and our very humble support, also the podcast has born just to give people that they want to embark in journeys just ideas and, and listening to change maker like you on how to progress and better. And really, uh, since we are, I mean, we will be talking a lot because you are very insightful, but I want, we are going to approaching the end and I want to ask some more recommendations. So you, you have written in the book, the time is the conscious leadership, the time for humanity. What do you recommend for people to, that they want to become more conscious leader and they want to regain their humanity. Well, if you're waiting for other people to change and actually be that in relationships or politics or big business, you're likely to be waiting a really long time. <laughs> so my message is we are therefore called to change ourselves. We can either choose to keep fighting the current or the existing dysfunction, or we can come together as conscious leaders, and I use a term, 
outcreate something different anew. And there is so much good in the world. I know we don't often see it on our feeds or when we're doom scrolling, uh, but my advice would be start or join a community of other conscious leaders. And that's what you're doing with your podcast. That's why the hashtag Time for Humanity is more than just a book title. It's a way of connecting into and sharing inspiration. Sometimes, Samuele, I just go on Instagram, put in the hashtag, and I just sit there tapping into the energy of it all. As I say, there is so much good out there in the world. And if we can come together, it's more likely that we'll build energy behind this community. Thank you so much for this positive and, and wonderful message. And if I may add as well for the, another recommendation and call would be read the book and trying also to share and really become part of this change and this change maker community to really regain and solve the problems that are at stake for the next five or 10 years for our species. So I want really to thank you so much, Sami, for this wonderful, wonderful episode and for your time. It has been an inspirational episode. Thank you. Thank you for all you do as well, Samuele, and to your listeners for taking time out to listen to this. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.